St. Louis Public Radio's The Gateway gives you the day's news first thing every weekday morning. From the ever-evolving relationship between St. Louis City and County to developments in the Missouri and Illinois state capitals and reports from our correspondents in Rolla and the Metro East. We put it all in a roughly 10-minute package with clarity and context. Download The Gateway wherever you get podcasts. It's a different way of hearing, and that's one of the things that Maurice and I both had to do after our music school training is you have to sort of unlearn what you learned and, and rethink how you're listening to instruments and how you're listening to pieces of music. That's multi-instrumentalist and early music expert Jeffrey Noonan. I'm Jeremy Goodwin, and this is Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast. Different scholars have different ideas about what exactly constitutes early music, and we'll get to that shortly. But short version, it's centuries-old music, usually by European composers, and it's often played on period instruments, instruments that are a bit different from what you'll see in a typical classical music ensemble. I spoke with two musicians who specialize in this stuff. Jeffrey Noonan is founder of a new presenting group called Early Music Missouri. He's in the midst of his first season, presenting lectures and different ensembles. And also Maurice Carlin. She's a harpsichord player and the leader of the Kingsbury Ensemble, That's an early music group that's been around for 21 years and is considered one of the preeminent groups in the Midwest. Why don't we start by listening to a little bit of Maurice Carlin on solo harpsichord. Just have a taste. This is a piece by Handel, his suite number eight in F minor for harpsichord. I asked Maurice Carlin just what is early music in her book. I think I define early music right now as pretty much anything that's before the 20th century. So I would say it starts from the Renaissance through the through the Romantic period. I think maybe uh, it stops when the instruments the instruments have pretty much stopped evolving. Like the piano, for example, the, the Steinway became the Steinway in the pretty much the 20th century and um, so we play music on earlier pianos and that's probably where I would stop <laughs> early music definition. So when's that Jeff? What well think? I, I think you can talk about early music in terms of dates and repertoire. I think Maurice is right that we generally think sort of backwards from the mid to late 19th century back into the Middle Ages and sometimes beyond. And so the idea is that it's performance of repertoire from an earlier era using the instruments, using the techniques, using the ideas of the period. But it's more than just, it's become more than just performance. I mean, it really is, it's performance based on scholarship, it's performance based on study of manuscripts, the study of, um, you know, I'm sure Maurice knows all the piano, the keyboard, what kind of fingerings did harpsichordists use? So it's not just the music or the repertoire. Um, It's it's an approach. It's an, it's an, an attitude towards the music and an approach towards the music as well. How far back do we have music that we would consider European classical music? When when does that start happening? I'm not sure I would use the word classical. 
we don't get notation until the 11th century. So around the year one, 900 to 1000 is when we start getting formal notation. Um, and some of that music actually survives. Uh, and of course, different forms of folk music pre- precede that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not say that music started back yeah. then. No, and, that, and that's that's an that's an issue. I think that that early musicians are really aware of that. We recognize that their that music is music is performance. Music is doing it, but we work with a artifacts, if you will, musical artifacts. Whether they're instruments, whether they're manuscripts, whether they're Churches, acoustics, you know, we work with all of those things. So we can safely go back to around the year 1000 and say we have a pretty good idea that this is what they were starting to, that this is what they were using, how they so played it. if you're performing a piece from 1001, uh, <laughs> what does it look like on the page compared to what we might be starting with now? It's a handwritten manuscript. The notation, the earliest Western musical notations that we have are religious text with little scribbles above some of the syllables, which tell a singer, remind a singer to go up or to go down or to hold the note. That's the earliest musical notation. No staves, no no lines, no nothing. It's just a couple of marks on a page over some words. That So it's kind of hard to come up with a performance based on that. Hmm. So that sound, something like that maybe have been a reference text for exactly. the performer? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah that's yeah, exclusively. And now we don't perform very much. I mean, no. I, I know of at least one monastery in France that actually still sings the Gregorian chant from the nooms, from the or, earlier notation. But we as as musicians, I mean, uh, we've done, we've both done some, some performance for manuscript, but I much prefer it when people do a, <laughs> a later, a later um, edition and put them nicely on something called Petrucci or IMSLP, yeah. which is a fantastic resource where people edit old scores and they are now more and more actually there. I remember 15 years ago, it wasn't even that much a case. You look for, for a piece of music and it didn't exist in the modern edition. But now many, um, many people do that. They want to share it. Now, Jeff, you're kind enough to play something for us in studio here. It's 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 funny, Jeff. I listen to a fair amount of Middle Eastern music, and I love the oud. Oh, sure. And it's always described as kind of like a Middle Eastern lute. And now I see an actual lute come in, and I say, oh, that looks like an it's oud. It's an oud. Now it's we know what they're all talking about. Yeah, yeah. So let's just okay. describe the instrument. This is a Renaissance lute, and it is, uh, as you said, it is a direct descendant of the Middle Eastern oud. Some people surmise it was around the time of the Crusades that it was brought into Europe and eventually became the lute. This particular instrument uh, is modeled on instruments that would have been played in the 16th, the late 16th and early 17th century. Uh, Depending on the decade, depending on the composer, depending on the repertoire, sometimes the strings are tuned in octaves, sometimes they're tuned in unisons, but this is a fairly, fairly standard tuning that I'm using here. Like a guitar, it has frets, the difference between this and a modern guitar, aside from the body shape, is that the frets are tied on. And uh, Jeremy probably noticed that the frets are in different spaces than they aren't all even mm. on the neck because we play in different tunings, different kind of what we call temperaments. The, so you'll adjust the location of the frets? Exactly. And again, that depends 
on the decade, the country, the composer. So we were talking earlier about, you know, sort of the scholarship, the part of thing. This is part of what you have to do. You have to know, you know, in 1573 in Pisa, they were using this kind of tuning, whereas in Rome, they were using this kind of tuning. So we, we play around with that sort of stuff as well. What can you share with us today? I'm going to play a short little piece. This is an English piece called Grimstock. That's Jeffrey Noonan playing the Renaissance Lute. This is Cut and Paste, and we'll be back after this one little message. If you have a smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public Radio. Welcome back to Cut and Paste. I'm Jeremy Goodwin, and I am talking about early music with Jeffrey Noonan and Maurice Carlin. Let's get back to that conversation. Folks who are devotees of early music, is that a somewhat somewhat small group? Do you run into each other? In terms of audience (laughs) or in terms of players? Um, Let's talk about players and the community of people who study and, and perform it and know it at the level that you do. Um, yeah, Jeff, you've played with us. Yeah, well, sure, sure. Times. Yeah, we've worked yeah. together. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's um, St. Louis doesn't have a large community of early musicians, so we all I think we all mostly know who who we are and what we do. Um, nationally and regionally, there is a large community. There are festivals that are held in Boston. There are festivals that are held in Bloomington, Indiana. There are festivals that are held out on on the West Coast. So people do gather. If you bring to go to the Boston Early Music Festival, the Berkeley Early Music Festival. There are people from all over the, not just all over the country, but all over the world who play this music. Would you talk a bit about, uh, beyond historical accuracy for its own sake, uh, playing period instruments, how does that affect the final musical result? Yeah, so. one, of the, one of the big differences between modern playing and early music playing is that, and this is especially true on the harpsichord and the, and the piano, if you listen to a really good harpsichord, a really good forte piano, what you'll notice is is that each range, the bass range, the tenor range, the alto range, the soprano range, each one has its own character, uh, much like a choir would have its own character in terms of the human voice. And um, modern instruments and the modern aesthetic, sound aesthetic, is that the sound is the same, the quality of the sound is the same. So a really good Steinway piano has the same quality sound from its lowest notes all the way up to its highest notes. Whereas a forte piano has may have a less penetrating bass, but a very plummy bass, and it might have a very bright soprano. It's, it's kind of like a mix of a choir. And we, 
we know that that's how they heard things back then, and they wrote music in that way, and we try and replicate it from that, and we, we try and hear it that way. It's a different way of hearing, and that's one of the things that Maurice and I both had to do after our music school training is you have to sort of unlearn what you learned and, and rethink how you're listening to instruments and how you're listening to pieces of music. It's a different mm. way of hearing, which is why our audiences, I think, like to come out and hear because it's a diff- different way of hearing. They're, they're encouraged to hear sometimes the same music they're familiar with in a different way. It's a lot of fun. Uh, do you have trouble when you need to repair your instrument or you need a part or something? Is it a little more of a well, I, I That's one of the things that attracted me to, to the harpsichord, actually, is the fact that I, when I was playing the piano, which I did until I finished my studies, uh, you can't really do anything. I mean, you can tune, but uh, you can't repair a piano. At least I didn't get into that when I was when I was a student. But um, uh, having a harpsichord is kind of fun because you can do, you can actually take your file and and cut some cut a new plectrum and and do some repairs and cut a new new damper a new felt. Do you so file you, down? You your, can actually. Own, you can um, actually. I'm sure Jeff does that the, too. The on plectrum that, that picks the, the, yeah, the sure. strikes That's the right. strings. You, yeah, you yeah, make you that yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, people will get a, a box of, of yeah. uh, quills, a box yeah. of feathers, and cut so them down. So it's kind of fun. I that I like the hands-on approach. <laughs> Although yeah. we I, restring our own instruments, you know, uh, you, yeah, you would never restring, strings, you know, replacing yeah. strings, that sort of stuff. I wouldn't stuff. dream so of sure. replacing a string on a piano, no. but on the yeah. harpsichord, you have to do it. Um, yeah. yeah, before a concert, <laughs> sometimes. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so it comes with. So you, you need to be able to do some upkeep of your own. You yeah. have to be willing to to dig into it. Yeah. Well, sure. you know, oboists make reeds. <laughs> right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. So, Maurice, let's listen to a bit of Kingsbury Ensemble. Um, what should we listen to from the album? I think there is some Caldera for two violins and continuo. Mm-hmm. What about that piece do you, do you like? <laughs> uh, what should I say about that piece? Yeah. Oh. Why, why do you want to play it and record it and have uh, people hear you do it? Oh. <laughs> well, Caldera is great music. heard it and, and I music, liked it. Yeah. But um, so that cantata was so extraordinary the first time I heard it. Uh, I thought um, immediately I think we have to do this piece. a chamber group with with that particular instrumentation and it's musicians you've played with and it's material that you love and it's going well what what does it sound like to you and what is what does it feel like to you to share that with people oh well i mean i I really love it it's uh you know um playing music is is an extraordinary experience and it it it, uh, it's a great resource personally it it really um, it carries you through life. In my case, you know, it's it's really something I couldn't do. If I'm in a place where I don't have an instrument, I get really 
really in, <laughs> yeah. in a bad mood <laughs> after a few days. Um, so it's it's really important, and and of course sharing it with other people, you know, working on a piece and and make, bringing it to life and and uh, discussing all the musical details, and it's it's a great experience to to have with with people. How does music carry you through your life? Um, well, in many ways. I mean, very often people ask my my own children who meditate tell me. Mom, you should meditate, <laughs> and and I said every time I said no, I don't need to. I have I can sit at the keyboard and completely forget about everything else, and um, and uh, you know it's it's really an experience like meditating. It's to me it's richer because um, you have the intellectual side of performing, the physical side of performing, and the uh, musical spiritual side. So. It's a complete uh, experience for me, at least. Jeffrey, music mm -hmm. has been a part of so much of what you do professionally, personally, mm -hmm. now as a convener of other groups, in some cases with early music, sure. or giving just a lecture on a topic if mm -hmm. you're not even necessarily playing. Mm -hmm. Right. What, why do you do it? Because it's a lot of fun. That's the bottom, that's the bottom line. What I do you get from really it? I really enjoy it. Um, I just have fun. I don't know that I, I wouldn't, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, get too philosophical about it because it's something that I'm I'm okay at. I don't think I'm great at it. I'm pretty good at it. And I enjoy doing it. I enjoy, for me, one of the biggest things, as Marie said, is being together with a cohort of musicians and just coming together on this one piece and making it putting this puzzle together and making it work. It's it's a it's a that's a beautiful experience. And then being able to share it with an audience, that's great too. I love being in front of an audience, but I'm not sure that I would always have to have that. Just just sitting down and working through a song with a singer or or, or playing through a quartet with a group of people is great. Music's a, a way of seeing the world and in much the same way that food is a way of seeing the world. And you know, a lot of things we, we think of philosophies and, and social uh, orders and things like that, that's the, how you see the world. But the experience that we have, whether it's cooking a meal or making music or reading poetry, it's a way of seeing, it's a way of experiencing the world. And I enjoy that particular experience, that way of experiencing my world. It's a lot of fun. And yeah. what about the audiences? Breeze, the Kingsbury Ensemble's been together for 21 years. Yes. You've played, <laughs> you've played all over. So you must have your own, you have, you have your own fan base at this point. Yeah, we have a pretty faithful audience, yeah. We always, we always I mean, to me, the challenge would be to um, attract a younger audience mm -hmm. and make them realize that Baroque music rocks, <laughs> that it's not hard to listen to. Our audiences, does it overlap with fans of other European classical music? Yeah, yeah, to a certain extent, yes. There is a group that are willing to go, you know, hear the St. Louis Symphony on a Saturday night and then come out and hear Maurice's group or hear my, my concerts on a Sunday afternoon. Then, and, then there are people who just want to hear early music. I mean, that, that you know, that's... And that's great. Yeah. We want them for sure. A few years ago, I sort of stopped playing in St. Louis because it was just getting frustrating for me to get audiences. So I was playing in Chicago. I was playing in Kansas City. I was just mostly out of town. 
And just in the last year or so, I decided, um, you know, we really need to have more going on here in terms of early music. And so I started this organization. I call it early. I call it an organization. It's just me. Uh, I, in uh, I call it Early Music Missouri, and um, it's a combination of presenter and on. It's not really an ensemble, but we. I have a group of people that I can call on to put concerts together. But I'm trying to bring in people regionally. Uh, local people who play early music to get them out and performing. So it's a way to build an audience, and I hope to uh, build up support for further. And we're, in, we're in the midst of your first season. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How, yeah. how is that going in terms of I think audience? it's going great by early music standards. You know, if we get 50 or 60 people to show up on a Sunday afternoon and pay a little bit of money, that's a pretty good thing. That was Jeffrey Noonan and Maurice Carlin, players and lovers of early music. I'm Jeremy Goodwin, and this has been Cut and Paste, edited with help from St. Louis Public Radio's executive editor, Shula Newman. Our theme music is by Eric Hall. You can find Cut and Paste at stlpublicradio.org or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>